All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 401 points, or 1.2%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 33 points, or eight-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 36 points, or three-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2.2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 7.8%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 15.8%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So, very busy week uh, in the week just passed with uh, inflation data that came through. And I would say, all in all, everything is moving in the right direction when it comes to inflation. Yeah, the inflation numbers that were reported on Wednesday showed that uh, year-over-year inflation was the lowest rate in uh, nearly two years, uh, CPI rose only one-tenth of 1% for the month of March. Uh, producer prices, which were reported on Thursday, actually showed a decline of a half percent for the month of March. Uh, so those two numbers uh, contributed to some, I would have to say, some positive sentiment in terms of, of uh the way the markets behave this week. Uh, now, the retail sales and industrial production numbers, um, <clears throat> retail sales uh, were down 1% from the previous month, and industrial production uh, was only up two-tenths of a percent. I was but I believe that was above expectation. I believe industrial production was above yes. expectations. I think it was slightly above expectations. Uh, the the thing that was the annual rate for the first quarter in which industrial production was going up was two tenths of one percent for the whole quarter, and I think that's a that's a that's definitely showing some slowing. As you said, Kyle, the the inflation numbers 
are all headed in the right direction. Uh, we did see interest rates, though, increase a little bit this week. I think some of this uh, reaction that we had during the uh, failure of SBB Bank and and all the other, you know, Swiss, uh, was it Swiss? Uh, <clears throat> Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> all the all hmm. the the bank uh, fears in mid March uh, that caused uh, interest rates to decline so much. Those as the days and weeks go by, uh, those the, the the fears are being kind of forgotten by Wall Street. I mean, that, I'm not to, we're not here to say that the banking system is totally out of the woods. That there's not going to be any more bank failures well, for the I remainder the of the year. Biggest point is they're not a run of the bank. They're not deposits leaving to the and that slowed down a lot. So no, I, but one, I did see a statistic on Friday, right before we went to record the show, that showed that the big banks took in another twenty billion dollars in the last week. There still seems to be money shifting from uh, the smaller, you know, you know, local or, you know, state or regional banks and shifting to the, the larger money center banks. Though I don't think it's at the same pace as it had been in weeks past, but there's still money shifting uh, around to the to the larger banks. We had we did have some bank earnings also in the week just mm-hmm. passed and they and that the markets didn't have much of a reaction <clears throat> to those uh, bank earnings, but the way that you know interest rates are starting to go back up again, I, I think this overshot, in my opinion, in terms the of safety yield, trade. Safety um, trade. where where these yields just went down so much so fast, is unwinding itself. Now, notwithstanding, I think it was Warren Buffett this week came out and said he himself expects there to be more bank bank failures in twenty twenty three. But what does that mean? I mean, does that mean the small regional player, you know, a small local player? Yes, go. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I just read read a story Friday morning that there was over $100 billion that um, was tapped into from that bridge, from the bridge loan, um, I guess, That's- system that was set up by the, by, by the Fed. And so they didn't say the banks that went to go tap this money, but they said over this past week about $100 billion was tapped in. So the bottom line is, is that there's still banks out there that are having issues that are putting their longer dated treasuries up as collateral, marking them to par value and going in and borrowing that money from the Fed. So I also read that the Fed's balance sheet, which started the quantitative tightening cycle at $9 trillion, and they're wanting to work it down to $7 trillion. Well, as of the end of this past week, it's at $8.6 trillion. So all the quantitative tightening we've had so far we're only about four hundred billion dollars smaller because of this this bridge financing uh, facility that they set up to help these banks that don't know how to manage their bonds properly. On a daily basis, it seems that CNBC marches out. I don't know five different money managers or analysts, and every one of them's got a different opinion about whether we're going to have a recession. Uh, this year or not, or whether it's going to be in 2024, or whether it's going to be a uh, soft landing or hard landing, it's just you know there's just this constant, 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 you know, just like us. I mean, we all have differing opinions amongst the three of us about whether there's going to be a recession or not in in the uh, 
in the month, if it's going to be this year, if it's going to be in 2024. Uh, but stocks continue to seem to just climb a little bit higher, a little bit higher, even uh, even among, even uh, you know, like, like we say, this market climbs this wall of worry. The wall of worry now is when does the recession begin, if it begins at all. And stock prices, to me, aren't reflecting any possibility of a recession this year. But I'm going to stop there because I see we're coming up on the break. All right. Well, let's take our first break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation and take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week, again, had the inflation data uh, come out this past week for the CPI, Consumer Price Index, Producer Price Index, all moving in the right direction, moving lower. I believe uh, the CPI ended at 5%. Uh, But, you know, again, it's still historically higher uh, inflationary number. But, you know, Jeff, before we went to commercial break, you were mentioning, you know, everyone's trying to handicap when we're going to have a recession, if we're going to have a recession. I find it a little funny that the Fed came out this past week and said they don't foresee a recession at all. Yeah, I was going to comment on that. (laughs) It's like... Do remember inflation transitory, uh, Joe? It's like I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. You can't make this stuff up. Would you repeat what you just said, Kyle? The Fed came out this past week and and reported that they do not foresee a recession. Period. That they that they're just going to come into a nice smooth glide path landing. And when I heard that, I just the first thought that came to my mind: inflation is transitory. It's like I don't believe them as far as. I could throw them, and I know that we've all said on this program we anticipate a recession. I think we all agree that it's going to be more of a mild recession. Uh, Of course, the timing is the $64,000 question, but as the data keeps coming out, as we've said on past shows, the claws of all the interest rate increases are starting to sink deeper into the economy. And then you compound that with the banking situation. And like I'd reported in the last segment, there's banks that are tapping into this bridge loan facility, putting their bonds up uh, as collateral that they can't unload or don't want to mark them to market and don't want to sell them before they mature. So there's money being borrowed. But of course, the Fed's not going to come out and say which banks came to borrow the money. I mean, we'll learn about it maybe a year from now. And I know you mentioned in the last segment, Warren Buffett did a big, long interview from Japan because all of a sudden Japan has got his investing interest for whatever reason. And he thinks that we're going to hear some more bank failures, but we got banks borrowing money now. How can they really fail? I guess that's really the question. How can you consider a bank failing if they can now go and pledge their bonds as collateral to get cash to shore up their balance sheet? 
Well, I think against yeah, banks can fail. Can be pretty tough. Well, I think so. I think it depends on what what their loan, you know, what's happening with their loans. If you have banks that are excessively exposed to certain parts of the economy that may be suffering uh, more than others, like commercial lending, um, I, I was reading a story this week about uh, you know that there's some foreclosures starting to occur in some of these big apartment. Uh, people that, you know, organizations that bought apartments say in the last couple of years, you know, post after the, the, the pandemic really got started. And then all these folks were, cause we couldn't get a house. They were, they were renting all these apartments and the apartment values went up and they went out and borrowed all this money and bought all these apartment complexes. But many of them bought them on adjustable rate loans and those, the adjustable rates are starting to kick in. How many of those banks are exposed to those loans? That's going to be that's going to be the story in in the months to come into next year as as these loans start you know step up to the next next uh, whatever the next interest rate is which has got to be higher than the previous one you know the, if the math doesn't work the borrower is going to walk away and the the bank's going to be left holding the bag but I, I want to say something we got you know look, we got some time here in this segment you said that the Fed predicted that there wasn't going to be a recession this year? Yeah, they just announced it on Thursday. They they feel confident that there is not going to be, they are not going to cause a recession. I'm reading the same story, and it says that they are projecting a mild recession later this year. Well, then I guess CNBC needs to get their teleprompters, you know, writers right. Yeah. Because when I heard that, my no. ears perked up, and Joe heard the same thing. And we're like, no, well, and, and, no. Thursday. That's not what Thursday, they said. Thursday. That's not what they said. Economists at the on. Federal Reserve are projecting a mild recession later this year. Staff members predict that re- recent turmoil in the banking industry will continue to weaken the economy through the end of 2023 with a recovery over the next two years. Those are from the minutes of last month's Federal Open Market Committee. Yeah, Joe, you got I, something else? I just want to, I got to want to say something. So Thursday, okay. the Fed came out on CNBC and they said the Fed expects banking crisis to cause a recession this year, um, according to their minutes. I'm like, okay, wait. So this banking crisis is causing the recession, not that we're tightening as quickly as we did, which obviously. Or as caused, we did. Yeah, I get, I get it. I'm like, what are you going to pass the buck now to the banks? And say, all right, this is what's going to push us over versus okay. the Fed. Okay, let's They're just blaming the in, banks. Let's just shift this away. Shift the blame. Uh, exactly. And then Larry Fink also with BlackRock, he thinks we may not we have, we may have a mild recession this year, but he projects probably one more in 2024. And obviously, his statement is inflation is going to stay higher for longer. And that's Larry Fink. Fink is the big boy at BlackRock, which you know might be. I don't know. I won't get into BlackRock today. Okay, that's a whole different segment. But I just yeah, because that leads you down to ESG, which I know fires you up. Well, they were trying to they were trying to pin him down on CNBC this morning. They even brought Texas up. Mm -hmm. It was on Friday morning, and I can't remember who it was. I think it was Faber was was basically saying, you know, what do you say to these states that are not happy with the the path that, that y'all – I'm just going to paraphrase what he was, was going for. This path that they're going for in terms of the way they look at investments. And, and Fink had on his dancing shoes big time. He never really answered the question 
about how how are they convincing these states you know, that are pulling money from their right and left because of their investment policies? How are they talking to them to try to get that money back? I mean, he, he had he had no good answer. I, I mean, I always like listen to everybody's opinions about the economy and all this. You know, these these people are running trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars. Yeah, uh, and so you, one thing I can bet with this organization that's running trillions of dollars is that they're fully invested all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Fully invested all the time. I mean, BlackRock's they, they have, one of the biggest energy holders that's out there. How much Exxon does BlackRock have on their books? You can, and you can and, and what I it. mean by fully invested is, is that there's, they're not really, they don't really manage their asset allocations for current economic environments. I'm, I'm sorry to say I really, they don't do that. Most organizations, you know, most Organizations that want to act like they're actively managed, they're really not. They're really not actively managed, especially on the asset allocation side, which is what what we have done so much of our entire 30-plus year career managing money. It's not so, only the not only the security selection, but the but the asset allocation. And that's so where gonna, that's where these big organizations they don't do it. They don't. They 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 if they're they're always fully invested, regardless of the market conditions. If if you look at your a balance fund, for instance, usually they're going to be sixty forty. Their Morningstar asset class or category is fifty to seventy percent stocks. But I bet if you look back over the last twenty years, ninety percent of the time they they might be. 58% to 62% stocks, and usually that's a run-up on the stocks. And maybe they'll tweak a little bit here and there with their large-cap growth or large-cap value, but it's maybe at 3%. Uh, they may be 3% out of whack. So Je- to your point, Jeff, I mean, I've studied this through Morningstar, and you see a lot of that. You know, they did, they oh. just can't actively – they can't move the Titanic that quickly, Jeff. That's, that's what right. It is. They just that's, can't. Well, that's, well, that's that, that was, that was the point the I was driving to with 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 with, uh, with BlackRock. If you're running trillions with a T dollars, you can't move. You can't you can't go from sixty forty to to forty sixty in in a day. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. It's well, because you that be, iceberg. You, well, for one, you couldn't unload the position because it would right. be such a large block. You'd be yeah, cutting yeah, yeah. your own throat on the pricing of it. And you have to find a counterparty that's willing, willing and wanting to buy it. So, you know, and it's funny, Jeff, because, you know, I talked, I spoke to a prospective client this past week that I'm going to be meeting with next week. And one thing that they wanted to, they, they really had a strong point is that they didn't want to be with a large super tanker firm. They didn't want it. They wanted to be nimble. They wanted to be, have the speed of mobility and have, that active management aspect, but also have a relationship with the actual decision makers of their assets. And so they were asking some very good questions, kind of pre-qualifying questions, making sure, hey, is Davidson Capital Management a giant super tanker that just sets it and forgets it and stays the course? And of course, provided them the education to know that's absolutely not how we work. You know, you have to be actively managed because the one thing that's a constant in the stock market and bond market in the economy is change. It's constantly changing. It's absolutely changing. And unfortunately, we're doing, I mean, we're doing our best to get the education out for the individual investor. But for some reason, these very large multi-trillion, multi-billion dollar management firms somehow provide this sense of security that they know more. And really what it comes down to is they're better marketers. 
So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, You know, we were talking, you know, and it's a constant conversation that we've been having on this program going back to 2005. You know, for us here at Davidson Capital Management, family-owned, family-operated, in-house, you know, in-house money management, don't outsource it to anybody else. Our clients have relationships with the decision makers, and we are actively managed and be nimble because the one constant of the market and the economy is change. There's always different risks out there. And I can tell you with how the market has performed so far this year, those set it and forget it portfolios are most likely not feeling much pain because they're going to have heavy allocations to equities with the S&P up over 7.8%, NASDAQ up over 15.8%. Oh, everyone thinks it's you know fine and dandy in a higher to stock allocated portfolio. But with all the the potential landmines that we discuss ad nauseum on this program, this is why active management is so key. But unfortunately, these larger firms, their whole idea is let's just manage the relationship, not the actual assets. We'll hold on. You know, if we can just hold on to more than 50, you know, if we can hold on to 51% of our clients and keep churning and getting more and new clients and do more marketing and more commercials, and all these fancy portfolios and brochures we'll send out to you, but there's not a lot of substance to the money management and the long-term performance isn't really that great. You know, that that's really the question. And, and the thing is, unfortunately, a lot of investors, they have this false sense, of, false sense of security working with these big, large firms that they have a higher level of expertise or have a access to knowledge that an individual investor who's doing it on their own has or doesn't have access to, you know, it's kind of like dad always said back in the day, there's no geniuses in the East. You know, they don't have access to any other special information that we don't have access to. You know, really the question is, you know, working with another advisor, what's your investment management philosophy? Ask that question and watch their brain, their mind just explode right in front of you and see what the answer is going to be. Well, and if they about- actually manage money, if they actually manage money, do the trading themselves, do the research themselves, do the stock picking, the bond selection, the asset allocation modeling themselves, they'll be able to answer it. But nine well, out of ten times, they will not be able to answer that question. Well, and, and Kyle, I was talking to a prospect last Friday, and the listeners, Kyle's in Dallas seeing clients, seeing clients face-to-face. I mean, I was in College Station Friday. I'm going to be actually doing a client event this Saturday. You know, that's part of the relationship is being able to pick up the phone, talk to Kyle, talk to Jeff, talk to me, and figure out what we're buying and why. I had a a, a conversation with a prospect on Friday. And even for our, you know, we have different kind of accounts, but our asset builder accounts are typically exchange-traded funds. 
um, or mutual funds. And you know what? We're actually buying individual bonds and asset builders, which we haven't done, to my knowledge, ever in the, ever. In the, in the portfolio. And that takes a lot of time and effort and customization and it's making sure we're buying bonds and why are we buying them? But these big, huge mutual funds like BlackRock or whoever else, what were they doing on the bond side last year? If you're a target date fund, did they adjust knowing interest rates were going to go up as quickly as they did? No, they didn't. And they got punished for it. And, and anyways, that's the philosophy. Their investors, got, their investors got punished for it. Yeah. But well, there was some bad news this week that were kind of on this same subject that all of us are now going to be replaced by AI. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a story this week where some college professors, I have no clue how they came up with this study. I don't know what the variables they used, but they were claiming that they were able to use some sort of AI to beat the market in terms of performance. Now, I don't know what market they're talking about. And again, I don't know what they're, what variables they're talking about. You know, the, 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 the hottest thing in tech right now is AI. The hottest, one of the hottest stocks in our portfolio that's tied to AI is NVIDIA. And uh, it's, I think, one of our, I think it is our biggest gainer this year. It's the S&P's biggest gainer this year, isn't it? But here's here's what I'm going to ask you guys. Have computers not been being used in terms of picking stocks, buying and selling stocks, uh, since before this year when AI became the buzzword of all buzzwords of tech, the answer, ladies and gentlemen, is heck yes. We had, pro- we had program trading in the late 1980s and then to the 90s. This is not new. You know, organizations using computers uh, to make investment decisions. And so I have to ask myself, well, heck, if all these computers were around all these years – all these algorithmic trading. Why do I get someone sitting at my desk in 2008 saying they lost 40 freaking percent in their portfolio? What kind of computer was running that? There wasn't one. Well, they weren't a client of ours. They were a they client, a client of, of They were a client of a, of a large uh, uh, legacy distribution system institutional firm, the same legacy distribution institutional firm that probably – lost in the high teens to low 20% for clients last year. You know, this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there isn't going to be any computers making uh, wholesale investment decisions for everybody on the planet that needs to make it, that needs to have their money managed. That's never going to happen. I'm sure there's people looking for easier ways. Well, you know, I, there's here's this new tool. I can just get this AI out and program all this in, this in, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat the market. Uh, you know, you better do it with a, with a very small percentage of your money because I don't think that's the way that it's gonna work. Well, and and that's what I've been. Uh, one thing I've been saying is that I don't think AI can capture the human emotion. You know, human emotion drives a lot of investment decisions. And it's not just for the individual investor. I mean, there's professional money managers that allow emotions, political points of view, different aspects of being a human involved in these investment decisions where, you know, yeah, AI can get very clever and and and, and kind of cool having a conversation with it. But the one thing that the computer will never have is any kind of human emotion. Right. If any, if our listeners recall, I think it was 1997, the failure of long-term capital management 
that that uh, was when it failed, there was a systemic issue, and the Federal Reserve had to step in. And they were they were basically a quant firm, which is a quantitative. It's a computer driven, algorithmic trading type strategy. And I re- I remember from the uh, post death review of the company, the post mortem. A postmortem, thank you, that uh, one of the things that was said by one of the founders is, is that their algorithms did not take into account emotion. Mm-hmm. They didn't take into account the, the human behavior of emotion and how it, how it drove things. Because wasn't it, it wasn't really about the losses in those bonds at Silicon Valley Bank that caused that bank to fail. Mm-hmm. What what caused it to fail is is when they reported those losses and social media got a hold of it. And those VC venture capital firms that had way over the amount of money that was covered you know, covered under the FDIC insurance by hundreds and hundreds of times. And they started and they started writing in in those social media posts and 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 wherever else they were communicating Twitter who knows Facebook get your money out of this bank now and as that spread what you know the emotions of the depositors took over and you had what a classic run on the bank emotions behavior mm-hmm. and that's why that bank failed any bank can fail in that scenario, a, a run on the bank, the, a classic run on the bank, like what happened to the SVB, could help could happen to any bank at any time, if the media, if if the dissemination of bad news happens in such a way that you get enough depositors to rush over there at one time and take money out. But but I mean again, but this is. And we've talked about it on this program. Wall Street for years has been trying to simplify the act of active asset management, just like anyone listening to this program who's participating in a 401k. You probably have a bevy of target date investment options available in your 401k and then a smaller menu, smaller handful of just individual mutual funds to where you could personally create your own asset allocation model. And we saw this prior to the financial crisis. More and more of these target date funds were coming into 401ks. They actually negatively impacted a lot of 401k participants after the financial crisis because they were in target date funds that they thought were more conservative, and they turned out to not be as conservative as they thought, and they were down 35 40 45%. But this is what Wall Street has been trying to do, and I guess it kind of goes back to that idea of this passive strategy that the legacy distribution system has continued to use, and it's the same thing with these target date funds. They have an allocation. They set it. They forget it, and come hell or high water, they're just going to stick with it. They're not going to make any adjustments. They're not going to be playing any kind of defense when defense needs to be played. And there are times in the market where defense needs to be played. Last year is a classic case in point. So far this year, we're still in a defensive position, and the market you know, has definitely started off a lot better than I think a lot of folks had anticipated. But I know we got a break, so I want to pick this up on the other side, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So you're just tuning in. We're in the last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program. And, and it's a conversation that we've had multiple times on this program, but it's always good to just kind of remind the listeners. And, and the reason why we do the portfolio reviews and analysis that we do and why we provide it to listeners and to prospective clients is going back to Joe's old statement, know what you own. But as you go and you learn what you own from an allocation standpoint, it's important to understand that a lot of these bigger money management firms, it's all about complacency. It's all about setting it and forgetting it. We saw this, and and again, the simplification of active management that's what Wall Street has been trying to do for years. And so this, this, you know, now talking about AI when it comes to money management, and as Jeff said, you know, long-term capital management goes back to what, 94? 97, I believe. 97, excuse me, 1997, you know, and it was an, I mean, we've got algorithmic programs out there that's been trading shares of stock for decades now. And, and I'm here to tell you, there is no magical black box that's only available to the ultra uber wealthy that just is consistently beating the market and has set it and forget it. But I guarantee you someone's going to start marketing it as if they do. Yeah, of course. Of course. And this is why we always say you have to dig deeper. You can't take things for face value. And, and as we've been saying with these target date funds in, you know, in some 401ks, this might be all that they give you, you know, very limited options, but you have to very keep, you know, you have to keep a sharp eye on it yourself. And then the one thing that we always say is that any listener of the Money Wise program that's over the age of 59 and a half and is still working and participating in their company's 401k, you have the ability to roll those assets out into a self-directed IRA that can then be professionally managed by someone like a Davidson Capital Management. You don't have to be stuck inside the 401k in the limited number of investment options that they provide you. But unfortunately, a 401k provider is not going to be coming to your place of employment and giving you a pre-retirement seminar saying, oh, by the way, you can take your assets away from us and go somewhere else and hire your own managers. They're not going to be advertising that. So I know when I've had questions in the past, or conversations in the past with, with prospective clients, and they're like, wait a second, I'm 61 and I can actually roll my assets out and still be working? Yes. It's called an in-service distribution rollover. Yeah, Joe. Well, one of the things, too, and, and we talk about knowing what you own and do a portfolio review process, we have a lot of clients that obviously they have their assets with us. They have old rollovers with us or they have taxable accounts, maybe a trust. Um, but when you're doing this process specifically with 401ks, you want to make sure that your 401k account is working in junction with the rest of your assets. So when we roll up our sleeves and do a review, we're like, all right, and Jeff and I and Kyle do it all the time. How's your 401k positioned? You know, and I don't know what percentage I would say, but a, a lot of the time their 401k looks nothing like the rest of their investment strategy. And that's just actually just, if you're working with an advisor, that's your advisor. They, you're supposed to know your client. You got to know what they have outside of what they have with you and you have to pay attention to it. 
you know. Um, because you have to make sure everything is working in concert. And like you said, it's not working against each other. But, you know, the, the you know, I, like I said, with the way that the market has started off so far this year, I mean, there are still so many unknowns that are out there. And we are still walking very slowly and very conservatively as we continue to build our equity positions in all of our portfolios, whether it's the most aggressive asset allocation or the most conservative, this is where you have to really be patient. Now, we know the Fed, after the, the inflation data that came out this past week, the Fed, you know, I would say you could almost bet the House that they're going to be raising interest rates in May and their May meeting by a quarter of 1%. And then they're probably going to, what I feel is they're going to most likely say, we're going to put a pause, we're going to circle the field, but we stand ready to make adjustments to interest rates, moving them higher if we start to see inflation moving in the wrong direction. Um, because I think throughout history, it shows that the Fed always over-tightens and then has to come and loosen it up. Now, what I find so just head-scratching is for these bullish analysts that are paraded out in the financial entertainment press on CNBC stating that we see interest rates being cut by the end of the year, and this is why we're so bullish. What I don't understand is what's going to cause the Fed to cut rates is that the economy has to come to a screeching halt. And if the economy comes to a screeching halt, that's not going to be positive for stocks. So how are they building an interest rate cut into their bullish thesis when the Fed is only going to cut rates if the economy falls off of a cliff? That, that just doesn't, that doesn't square with me. And I'm sure it doesn't square with either one of you. Well, the first question I'd ask is how many years has the analyst been studying the markets? Oh, I know the conversation you had with dad because dad and I had it last Sunday about the, having the, the reverence for the history of Wall Street, which right. is something we take deadly serious in the, our four the, walls of our the, office. The Federal Reserve can, can cut interest rates and stocks can go down at the same time. Uh, we go look back just to 2008 uh, when we, when the Fed was cutting rates right and left and the stocks were still going down. Yes, there was a lot of other things going on at that time, too. Um, we had a, a real banking crisis, which is not what we have right now. And and I don't expect that by any stretch of the imagination. But, yeah, you know, we started the year off with the talk about the you know, Fed Fed's going to cut rates at the end of, by the end of the year. And then we get into February and we get those high CPI numbers, and we got them saying, you know, we got them in March. Okay, well, that's totally off the table. And then, wham, the bank the bank situation comes along. Uh, stocks take it on the chin. Yields crater. Uh, but now that seems to be headed back the other way. And stocks, though they've inched up a little bit, uh, I think the rate at which they've been going up has slowed because now we got to hear about earnings. And we've got a little taste of it this week, just a tiny little taste. We get a bigger taste next week, and then the week after that, it's all the big tech names. The tomahawk. The ones the that tomahawk have been steak. the ones that have been driving uh the, the performance of for the year, pretty much the S and P and the Nasdaq. Yeah, yeah. well, big, and it's big, also big been big elevating TEs. It's also been elevating the overall price earning multiple for the S and P five hundred as well. So, what you know, three weeks before we get the big tomahawk steak. But, you know, again, as we said on last week's show, the Fed is slowly kind of moving out of the spotlight, kind of taking second position, and now it's going to be coming down to the earnings. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of earnings slowdown? We already saw a negative 4.8% earnings decline from the fourth quarter. Now we've got the first quarter uh, 2023 earnings that are going to be coming out. So, you know, again, we'll we'll have to see. But this is where we're going to continue to say for all your home gamers, be patient, keep a sharp eye on your allocation, and ask yourself, when was the last time you got a second opinion on what you're actually doing in your portfolio? Do you really know what you own? Have you had that full-blown portfolio review and analysis? And if you want one, we're always here and available at Davidson Capital Management, 800-275-2162. With that, we're coming up at the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's MoneyWise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chalked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues? Because I guess it's kind of like getting your high school diploma. Maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma. Is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll I guess we'll, we'll go with seventy five percent. Seventy five percent is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age sixty seven in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. 
Now, this question has been – we've heard so many different – is it four times? Is it five times? Is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary. B is six times the salary. C is eight times the salary. Or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C, eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I, I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurd large, honestly. $800,000. Well, think about $800,000. Yeah. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa Son. I, I know that, but, but, but when you see this number... I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so I guess what I'm saying is... I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that... I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember, the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement, and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little, that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents... Our grandparents didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars when they retired, and they they lived. actually actually my 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 grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but, I, but I'm retired. thinking about your parents, yes, and no, mom no, and mom's no, parents. I'm, no, th- I'm, no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last twenty five years. Yes, yes, no, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. I, when, I think when, this number no, 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 scares no, no, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, it, but it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but retirement. we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year. And we think that that's awfully low. And we think the reason they set it at four percent is one. 
so that they could continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible to keep as much money on their on their in their care and control, if you will, so they could keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two. A popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is... A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, People no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire? And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement? And the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So, in high school, maybe, and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Let's, to let's take. flash back. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them 
wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, I, I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, or the first 10 years of the baby boomers, they're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401ks until the 80s. There's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers. They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand-new cars yeah. in, in the garage. You know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who had, when they retire, their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, 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 and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like they you're have talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, it's no. Is is it bad to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid 50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with Mm -hmm. your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been, and I've been, uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it. And so it makes our our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So, question number three. Question number three. Jeff. What percentage of surveyed workers aged fifty-five and above said they or their spouse? have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement. A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. 
And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty-two. It was up from forty-two percent in two thousand and three. So, the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do. And I hope that we're part of getting that number up. Absolutely. And, and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators and you can spend all day having fun with calculations and the computer program does everything for you and it's free of charge I also one other thing i didn't say i think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number as far as living yes i i, I don't if think you that. look at the actuarial charts though dad right now someone age 65 they have a better than 50 percent chance to live well into their 80s yeah that, uh, with modern advances in medicine so no. you can disagree with it, but I the totally disagree. Are there. I think that I mean there is very few people are going to live to be ninety two. Very very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four: Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save? quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement, and what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you make uh, okay, $50,000, right, right. Gra- it's 400000 But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, and, and debt reduction bandwagon. A quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus plus past the age of 65 all of a sudden you put 20 years into two hundred fifty thousand dollars. that's not that's, a lot of money that's about twelve thousand five hundred a year yeah. that's not that's you're not going to be on it's a grand needs. a month yeah that's not going to get you anywhere so that's why that's why when we're talking these numbers this is the more sobering number to me i mean see the 800 number just goes over my head what I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. 
Not if you live 15, 20 years in it retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't hay. And no, so, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you're, you think you're going to live. You've got to watch your actuarials and see where they are. And you have to plan accordingly. You think people are going to live to be in their 90s. No, 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 no. They're statistically, I mean, these are I'm statistics just, I'm spouting. I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92. No, that that's that's absolutely true. And only one in four have got that number. That's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though? This is 36 percent of of age 55 plus. 36 percent of this group have reported to have saved less than ten thousand dollars. Now that. That is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing the quiz that came out of the Wall Street Journal, Think You're Ready to Retire?, that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz, and we've gotten to question number five. Now, question number five is: What is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired, and what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re- one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on it. Because if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, how can they actually retire? The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of Social Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying the number right now is 61. And for for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees. They stopped at 61. They Which retired at they 61 retired before they before could get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security. And now and now workers are currently thinking about 
age 66. I mean, I which think it would be after the majority of them start being able to collect. And here's something else that's interesting about this statistic. Remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s. So they worked 10, 12, 14 years before a 401k even existed. That's true. And, and, and really, the IRAs had not been around that long. And so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every, you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they, they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business, and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? And the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for, uh, say they have worked for pay in, in retirement. So, I mean, that when 69% are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality only 25% do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part-time side job and, and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that, but very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%. C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age. And the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, Reduce expenses. So we're just talking about and hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah. One in four. So how could only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? That can't be. The number should be 26, 25. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National no, Retirement no. Risk Index what at the I, Center what, for what Retirement saying. Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies. Everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing 
the few. We're seeing that one in four that has saved, mm-hmm. that has got this money. But you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right. When, and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're, we're embarked. Get into politics. Now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the 60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable, Unaffordable Care Act? Health Act. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon, which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is, is going to stay the same. Well, excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a this, few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. <laughs> hold my water. 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day. How many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's going to skew Social Security it, it's benefits It's going to skew whatnot. entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, Entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year in 2013. How much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, the re- but the remaining significantly larger than most. Now, this number is is significantly larger than most than most consumers estimate. And a Fidelity poll of pre-retirees age 55 to 64 found that nearly 48 percent believe that they will only need fifty thousand dollars to pay 
health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical it. costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into, you know, what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of medical care, like a visit to a emergency room and what that can cost. $200,000? $220,000. That number is too low. Whatever that number is... I'd believe 800000 before I'd believe 200000 <laughs> because the truth is we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401Ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This the, is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, num- that's, that's, that's shockingly been, you know, low. Well, well, we have been on we have been on for a long time talking about low, participa- low participation rates in 401ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution well, on low, top low, of that. Yeah, and you, when you add those two together... Then you're. Then it's very easy to see how someone, how we have, what was it, thirty some odd, thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz. A household age 65 is living on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and out three percent inflation. How much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I could answer that okay, question, Jeff. At age 75 with 3% inflation, 
you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation, why they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, in this low interest rate environment by having high allocations to fixed income on their portfolios that that's right and that inflation is eroding purchasing power let me put it in a simpler way $5000 grocery bill today would cost over $9000 in 20 years and i used to use also that car example what your 67 fastback cost Versus what the average cost uh, of a thirty six hundred dollars. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over thirty thousand dollars. That's inflation. Uh, question number twelve: What percentage of households age sixty five through seventy four carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is forty one percent carry housing debt and thirty two percent carry credit card debt. Now, this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000, according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those... 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, long, a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000, don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start yeah. saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have you know, a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that, that are, I think, in, in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and, and be much more comfortable now that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. 
It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is time, that. Is time, is time on your side? Well, you know, you, you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and, and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not, having, participating. not participating in the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key, and pay yourself first, and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line, and so you have to prepare and plan for it. And so it. if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in, 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 in retirement, if you want to get a a, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.